Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We are in the thick of summer. And that by that, I mean the air feels thick. I feel like, you know, so this is July 4th is coming. Everyone's it's, just ready to, to hang. It's officially summer. We have, you we know, had the, the equinox, the solstice. the solstice. Yeah, the solstice is summer. You're right. I should know that. I once threw a solstice party in the summer, but I forgot. You threw I a solstice t- party two weeks ago. That was pre-solstice. Okay, but still, it had the word solstice sure. in it. That, so. It was pre-solstice. We missed you. Unfortunately, you now live across <laughs> the country. You were still invited. Yes, I appreciate it. That's how I yeah. know that you're familiar with the solstice. Right. That's true. Anyway, <laughs> here's what I want to say. Despite my confusion with some of the scientific nomenclature surrounding the summer season, I'm just, I'm all in. This is, I've declared this the summer of Amanda. It started on <laughs> Friday night. And I just am really happy and I'm happy to be here with you and I'm happy to be experiencing summer finally here in Los Angeles. What'd you do on Friday night? Went out to dinner with our friends, Chris and Phoebe, my mom. Okay. So my mother was in town and so I had, we had nighttime babysitting, which is crucial. So we went out to like a grown up dinner after nightfall (laughs) and I I mean, nightfall is like, you know, 830. I guess it wasn't nightfall when dinner started, but when it when we left, it was nightfall, and I, it was just really fun. Uh, let me tell you, being an adult is is great. And then on Saturday, we also went out to dinner, so that was really exciting. But uh, we were home before nightfall that time, you know. <laughs> Sounds great too. I love it all for you. They're long days right now, you know. Sure, tell me about it. I've also just noticed like. We probably could spend the next three to four weeks only talking about the Barbie press tour. We're not Mm -hmm. going to, but I just feel like summer has become Barbie, Tom Cruise, and Killian Murphy. That's great. I think it's really just two out of three. Do you think Killian Murphy is who everyone else is focused on in the Oppenheimer press tour? Are people excited about Oppenheimer? I don't, you would know better than I. I think that the Christopher Nolan heads 
which is a, a sizable group of primarily... Ring, ringer readers? Well, I was going to say primarily young men on the internet, but also ringer readers are excited about it. Then there are some people who are concerned about Christopher Nolan setting off a, an atomic bomb, which like he didn't, but you know, there's a lot of controversy. And then, you know, there are people who think it's a good idea. I, I don't know. Most people are excited about it or they don't know about it, but it is also like a historical drama, you know? I have no I have no idea who else is in it, but Matt Damon, Emily Blunt. They're good. Sure. <laughs> Here's the thing. Killian Murphy is so criminally underappreciated that I, for the rest of my days, will be trying to support him. And I just okay. want to note, he is not cool, but he's an incredible okay. actor. But okay. he's like a he's like a I think like a weirdo. Although he just likes I think he likes a quiet life. Some of these Irish guys, they just like want a quiet life, you know? Who among us wouldn't <laughs> like a quiet life? <laughs> All right. We're not going to talk about those three things because we'll have more time surely to come. Sure. Yeah, almost a month. Instead, let's start with a topic that's really a collision, I feel like, of your past and my past. Jenna Lyons got a profile in the New York Times because she is one of the new Real Housewives of New York City. And I feel like Jenna Lyons was an icon at the time where you were more embedded in New York media. Yes. And the Real Housewives of New York was a favorite show of mine in, in my past. So that's that's our that's how we come together so on this. Real Housewives of New York is no longer a passion of yours. Well, this is a brand new cast, which the article gets at. Jennifer Lyons is a member of it. And I don't believe in like this type of reality show when there's no actual friendship at the heart of it. And this is just like a, a group of women that was cast. They're not a friend group. And so okay. I have very, very low hopes for this show. It's so funny. This is why I put this in the doc. The Jen Alliance in advance of the show was featured in the New York Times. It's like a pretty long profile talking about how weird it is, not how weird it is, but her experience being on the show, how she wound up doing it. It has like a decent amount of access to her. So it was, it got me, Amanda Dobbins, a person who doesn't consume housewife content to read some housewives related content. Right. Right. And then it also, it, as you said, it bridges our interests, but I'm not going to watch the show and you, the housewives enthusiast are also not really going to well, watch I'm the gonna show. Watch. I'll give it You're a gonna shot. Watch. You're going to give it but... a shot. But it's funny how it's like they made an effort, I think, to to widen the audience and bring together, you know, interest sets like yours and mine with this casting. And it like worked in the sense that we're talking about it right now. But are, it's, you know, is it going to work in terms of the show? Like, probably not. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to watch. So that's what's funny about it. Yeah. I mean, it's also just funny. Like, she's she's famous, like. I don't know if like she's famous to like the Bravo audience necessarily, but she's definitely like a New York celebrity and, and a fashion fashion, and, yeah, fashion celebrity. celebrity. Yeah, so she she ran J Crew. Perhaps some would say into the ground. And, <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't run it. She was like the she, creative director, fashion yes, director, exactly. And you know, it was like a major that was like the face of J Crew during its sort of early two thousands renaissance. You know, and if you recall, Michelle Obama was like wearing J. Crew a lot when she was first lady. And, it, you know, it was kind of one of J. Crew's many moments. But Jenna Lyons was like definitely associated with that. Yeah. And but then, then, then didn't it have like a swoon that she that sort of yeah, like resulted in her leaving? Yes, it did. Right. And then I believe when she first became rose to prominence, she was married to a man. And now mm -hmm. I believe she's in a relationship with a woman. And so 
And I think she, I think she identifies as a lesbian, right? She does. She, yeah. uh, yes. And part of the New York Times piece, she talks about one of the reasons she decided to do this was that, you know, that to bring like a little bit more queer representation to the yeah. Housewives franchise. Yeah, which there's very little. And to the extent that there is, it's like often like scandalous or like somehow like construed as, I wouldn't say attached with shame, but as something that's like either secretive or like, transgressive isn't the right word because it doesn't they don't like give it the credit for being like positively transgressive but more like somehow what's the word starts with a d i don't know anyway not good like for example denise richards left the show because brandy glanville claims to have hooked up with her when she's married to a man and then brandy glanville is like seems i don't i don't know how she would define her sexuality right now but it's like you know not heteronormative but like brandy's also like persona non grata because she allegedly sexually uh like grabbed another housewife so basically they have a really fraught relationship with lesbians i would say and so it's almost like jenna Lyons like doing the franchise a favor but that's sort of like all irrelevant to me the problem with the show is that these people aren't actually friends but it is interesting that like jenna Lyons is like the face of the real housewives of new york it's like so different than jill zarin or luann de la Seps, who's you know her face is known for her mugshot in florida so very right. different i Another point that the piece makes is that Jenna Lyons has, I believe it's a disposable eyelash line or fake eyelash line mm. that she's trying to promote. And so she does, she's doing the show almost entirely to promote her business. She doesn't like quite put it that way, but she definitely says like, I'm not that famous anymore. Like I, we need more eyeballs, you know, we need more. So um, that's interesting. Two things about that. One, mm-hmm. that's in the grand tradition of, of course, Bravo stars. At BravoCon, they have a mm-hmm. marketplace. It's like BravoCon's at the Javits Center. And the marketplace is exclusively product being pushed by Bravo celebrities. So, but, yeah. That, so what is the normal sequence of events on that? Is Does someone become a Bravo celebrity and then develop products? Or do they sign up to be a Bravo celebrity in order to push their products? Mostly the former. Okay. But I think there is now some of the latter because it's okay. just like a wide a wider group. But my question for you is like, do you believe that? Like, do you think Jenna Lyons wants to be famous anew to push her eye eyelash line, or just because she likes to be famous? Well, I definitely think she makes money off of being famous and has since J. Crew. You know, mm-hmm. like part of I, she certainly has an eye. You know, and and is a is a, I don't want to say style icon, but you know what she looks She's like. She's striking, right? Looking, yeah. She's striking, you know, the thick glasses, the like sequence during the day, like the tailor, like y- you have a sense of who she is and what she's bringing to the table. But I have no idea how that translated to like J. Crew business. So I right. do think what she was bringing in terms of her professional success was like visibility and how she translated that. So she's got to stay visible in order to do what she does. Right. And make money. So like, is she doing it to promote the eyelashes or just because this is like an opportunity for the next chapter of her, you know, trade? I'm not, I'm not really sure. But yeah, I I don't think... I mean, maybe she thought it would be interesting. I, I don't know. I feel like the sort of like predecessor to this is Carol Radziwill, okay. who married into the Radziwill family and talked about that frequently. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
And she was sort of similar. We're like, she was a journalist, but she also was like, you know, really liked her life of being in high end social circles. So I feel like Jenna is like the next Carol in a way. And didn't end that great for Carol, but she's yeah, still, what was, still what was that well. arc? She was really close with Bethany. Basically, Carol was one of many people who was just absolutely destroyed by Hillary Clinton losing. I wouldn't even just say it was Donald Trump winning, but like Hillary Clinton losing. And it like kind of changed her. And she also was like going down a weird path of like Bravo fame. Do you mean it destroyed her personally or like she was set up to be in the Hillary Clinton administration and then did not get a placement? (laughs) More the more the former. But again, we can't rule out the latter. Okay, like she was just like a really staunch Hillary supporter. Okay, and, you know, she's like a real old school Democrat associates with with, she was friends with with John F. Kennedy Jr. Also on the show discussed. (laughs) And I just think that like the arc of the country not continuing to bend towards Clintonism like really was a huge problem for Carol and she had a big falling out with Bethany and it just like made her look bad. Basically, no one has exited a Bravo show looking good. Like literally, I can't really think of an example. So it's just not, it's just not a great game to play. It's not a long-term play. I do like thinking about the Housewives eras in terms of like that the first New York was the Clintonism era. And then <laughs> was there a Trump era? Yeah. I mean, yes, definitely. Okay. And then, you know, I think the, I think the murder of George Floyd also like actually really impacted Bravo as well. Okay. That like a bunch of people were fired from Vanderpump rules in the wake of like real racial reckoning that the country had. And it also, you know, real Housewives of New York tried to diversify with Ebony Williams. And, you know, I think like, Uh, And she and Ramona, Ebony has spoken about this on her own podcast, check it out, like had a really tense relationship. And, and, you know, some of the women like referred to Ebony as like angry when she really wasn't like, you know, I do think there's, there has been like a, a change. And I actually wrote about this for the ringer, but it was really weird watching Carol have a meltdown over the election, like after, like in 2017. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is not fun. Like this is, it was really, it was bad. But anyway, I don't know. I just, I, I this real Housewives of New York, it's going to be really hard for, for it to succeed. They also had to fire someone who was not supposed to be on the show named Lizzie Savetsky, who is like a Zionist who okay. was accused. This is un, unofficial, but she's accused of using like racial slurs and being in like fighting with cast members. So she's been like er- erased from the show. So it's just starting off from a really bad place. I just don't have a lot of faith, but again, okay. I'll be watching. So you, but so you, but you don't anticipate this being like a new chapter. No, of do Bravo. not see this being a revival. No. Okay. I do think it's interesting the the point that you made about the it, it starting as a group of friends versus trying to force it. To me, this also feels like instead of following like the homegrown Bravo talent and like doubling down on the audience and the fan base that it has, it's like trying to recruit like a wider. Which I understand for business reasons they have to do, but they have been very successful in their own world, you know? Yes. Like, I, I, you know, and I guess it's sort of the pop cultural problem that everyone faces at some point, which is like the power of not like a niche fandom, but a specific like group of followers versus trying to have as broad an audience as possible. I think there's something really specific to the challenge of a New York City reality show as well that is different than 
Like, for example, Beverly Hills. Like, Beverly Hills is a small set subsect of LA, right? And all the women don't live in Beverly Hills anymore. But you know what they're trying to cultivate by saying the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And similar to the Real Housewives of Orange County. Like, none of these places are, are monolithic. And I don't mean to suggest that. But I think right. New York City in particular is very hard to identify like a kind of like broad subculture and that you can like use as like the poster child, like, because, you know, everyone, everyone's so familiar with like a gossip girl. So if you try to like lean into that, then it's clear that it's like a different type of culture than true, like society people. I mean, true society people won't be on the show, but it's also a really like, you know, it's a very diverse, I wouldn't necessarily like say it, it's it's a diverse and like largely segregated city as well. But Bravo, I think, is trying to like change its how white it is. But at the same time, then you end up with like not necessarily real friend groups. And then I think also most people don't want to be on it. I think Beverly Hills, there's so many people in LA who are like, yeah, I'll do this. Sure. It'll help my acting career. So I think it's just different. It's just a different currency. Right. Has being on a Bravo show helped anyone's acting career? No. Okay. I just, I just wanted to know, like, I, I, I understand that there are many people in Los Angeles who will still believe that, but I wanted to know whether sure. we had any, uh, we had any evidence and the answer no. is no. Okay. The answer is, uh, Kyle Richards got to be in, um, Halloween, a re- like one of the newer Halloweens reprise her role. So maybe that helped. Okay. She was, she was in the original. So, okay. Well, I guess maybe I'll watch some clips on the internet of this, you know? But probably not. The other thing, the other thing about the piece is that everyone it 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 sounds like everyone from Jenna Lyons to Andy Cohen to Bravo themselves are like, I don't know whether this was a success. And like, not in totally, you know, Andy Cohen describes her as like having a different energy and like it's (laughs) interesting, which is how you know that she just you know, was not ready to play to the cameras and thus it's like boring television. So maybe I won't even watch clips. It's, it's, it's very funny. Yeah. It's coming soon. I mean, there's just a lot of issues, whatever. Well, I'm glad you asked. Thanks so much, Amanda. Well, I like to ask you because it, it allows you to talk about how much, you know, craft goes into actually making a successful reality TV show. And I find that interesting, even if I don't want to actually watch the shows. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really... I was actually talking to Tate Frazier about this on Through the Ringer. Check it out. The best reality shows have specific self-contained worlds that producers have constructed, and then they cast the right people, and then the rest is magic. It, the rest is just something you can't control. You, 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 know, you, you hope for the best, you create the most favorable conditions to get the outcome you want, but you just don't know that when you put... Polly D and Vinny and the situation together that you're going to get GTL. Like you don't know they're actually going to want to do their usual summer routine of gym, tel- <laughs> gym tan laundry. Like similarly, you don't know when, you know, you start the real world that it's like, you're actually going to get people who are so unfamiliar with being around people they don't know. And on camera that they will have like really nasty fights and like whatever. And so part of the problem here also is like, casting someone like Jenna Lyons, like she has way too much understanding of how this works. And so she won't embarrass herself. And so I'm assuming Jenna Lyons isn't going to embarrass herself. That would be, that would shock me. And so it's hard to, hard to have a good show like that. Okay. Well, you're going to watch so you can report back back. or not. Maybe there's nothing to report on, but I'm, I'm at least curious to hear, hear your thoughts. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. 
It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Let's move on. Some of you may know Kevin Costner is estranged from his wife and their divorce is happening. And it's really weird. I think we talked about it A dissolution of marriage process. We talked about it because Kevin Costner issued an all-time iconic, I'm getting a divorce statement with like 18 different degrees of like passive sense, you know, that anyway... I put this in here just because the level of press coverage and and kind of press war between the two camps is notable and something that I haven't seen in a while. You know, like both sides are, are some of it is just that they're filing lots of filings in court because they're arguing over money and the prenup and like child support right now. But it's all very detailed and it's all making its way to TMZ immediately. And I am sort of taken aback by all of it. (laughs) I would say it's your favorite soap opera right now. It's pretty good because both parties seem like really dialed into TMZ and both seem really where Kevin Costner is being represented by Laura Wasser, Mm. the Disso queen. So we know that they're dialed into TMZ. And then his estranged wife, Christine Baumgartner, is being paparazzi in Montecito all the time (laughs) and seems to be also leaking a fair amount of press, of stuff to the press, and also filed one of like the all-time here's how much money I need for child support filings, which this is not press so much. I I guess you know if at this point that it's going to be reported in the press, but it's just like the breakdown of like $500,000 a year on a gardener and like here's how much it costs to run the Aspen house and here how here's how much it costs to run the Carpinteria house and here's how much we're spending on a trainer and here you know and you're just like and even in the filing it's like I know that we are very blessed to be living this way <laughs> and I expect to be continue I expect to continue to live this way and so do the children it's really quite something. Also, aren't they both refusing to leave their home? Well, she is refusing to leave the home. Right. She and the, and the children are because she is living with the children there. And Kevin Costner says, according to the prenup, she had 30 days to vacate their home. Today's battlefront was (laughs) Kevin Costner's camp leaking something about he was taken by surprise because he was actually gonna file for divorce first and then she caught him off guard and (laughs) filed for divorce but he had already told the kids via zoom that they were getting a divorce like the day before i i don't know it seems 
Massive. They kind of sound like the couple to take in Ticket to Paradise, but like not funny. But like yes. that sort of level of hatred. <laughs> also, meanwhile, all this is going on among like this weird stalemate between Kevin Costner and Taylor Sheridan as well over the future right. of the television show Yellowstone. Right. So like exactly. Kevin Costner is really just like he's just being stubborn on every front possible. Right. Also, speaking of people just giving ridiculous quotes to the press, Taylor Sheridan gave quite an interview last week to The Hollywood Reporter, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Also, speaking of financial arrangements, he's just renting his own ranch to Paramount and to himself for like every shooting thing that he needs to do. It's a great job. Anyway, his quotes are incredible. They're like so rude to everyone but himself. So it's it's amazing. (laughs) Slash terrible. It's really wild. But the thing that has struck me about it is it just seems so old school ugly. Like, you know, and maybe it's just because I associate Kevin Costner with like the 80s and 90s and cut like a a type of star that has a publicist being like, call People Magazine and tell them this and then call Parade and tell them this, you know? (laughs) But it just, it seems really old school sort of funny and it's like in it and it's yeah it's like a 90s divorce movie exactly it's like and it's visible viciousness exactly well maybe this is a screenplay and kevin costner can star it's about time he does a a rom-com that would be wonderful wouldn't you love it i think that's a great idea let's turn lemons into lemonade you know (laughs) sounds great all right speaking of breakups taylor swift is preparing to release the re-release of Speak Now, which I believe was her second album. It came out in 2010, if I recall correctly. And it features the song Dear John, which she just played as one of the surprise songs at her concerts over the weekend that I think were in like Minneapolis or something. It was the first time that she had performed Dear John since 2012. <sighs> Taylor just really is doing a great job with these re-releases. I think of everything she's accomplished, her ability to turn her re-releases into a moment is it's really stunning to me. It's really incredible. Her flair for the drama is really impressive. And anyway, with when Red came out again, the 10-minute All Too Well elicited a real pylon on Jake Gyllenhaal. And so without naming names, she asked her fans to not attack the presumed subject of Dear John, the one and only John Mayer. And again, like, I'm sure people would have been excited about the song and people would have a attack John Mayer, much like they did Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal. But she has, she's like harnessing the Streisand effect. She's like, she's like, I understand that this is like probably the type of thing that I'd be cautioned against, but actually I'm going to do it and it's going to be a successful tactic. And I have to say, I think it was a good idea. Good move, Taylor. Two things I want to say. Number one, Dear John, Taylor Swift's most underrated song. Just an absolute I think Nora and Nathan agree, if I recall that, correctly. I mean, and part of what is so beautiful about it is the the perfect level of kiss off to John Mayer. I mean, they're like the guitar solo is like a parody John Mayer guitar solo in the song. That God said, bless. Yes. I like a John Mayer guitar solo. Sure. But it's also <laughs> when you listen to it, knowing that this song is about him and she's like 23 years old. I don't know. Writing this. I'm like, this is bless you. This is so petty and beautiful and it's turning pettiness into art. And I just, I really love it. Second of all, I do feel that 
in addition to the all too well 10 minute Jake Gyllenhaal pile on debacle, this was informed by recent events with Taylor Swift being affiliated with individuals and then mm. her fans taking aim online, if you will. So it's sort of interesting to to watch her like finally become aware of that. Mm. Or it's not that she she was always aware of it, but to, to decide, no, I'm going to I'm going to try to marshal this in some way. It's a weird one to start with. I mean, I guess yeah. maybe she was forced into it because of the timing and wanting to play Dear John and the album coming out. Right. But like, I have to imagine she would rather protect the guy she seemingly had a fun fling with, at, at least, than right. an ex who broke her heart, even if it was to quote her 12 billion years ago. Right. So it's just sort of bizarre. But once again, she, here we are talking about Speak Now, an album that came out a long time ago. A really great album, though. I know. It's pretty amazing. I feel like this is like, honestly, a masterclass and just making a mountain out of a molehill. And also in understanding your fan base and yeah. delivering and getting just as much money as possible out of your fan base. That too. Yes. That yeah. too. Well, I like the re-releases. Yeah. I look, I look forward to it and I'm going to watch that on YouTube later. <laughs> Let's move on. Do you want to do your YouTube update now? Sure. I'd love to share my my yeah, YouTube update. Juliet's YouTube corner since you brought it up. I had two that I wanted to mention to you that I that I recently watched. First of all, this one I think you'll feel less less excited about, but the Blink-182 reunion tour was kind of like just on the periphery for me. Don't care at all about Kourtney Kardashian. Certainly didn't break the news to Travis at the, at the concert. Who okay. gives a shit? That said, some people I know, it, they, because they were in California this past weekend, people I know went to the shows. And, and, and then, of course, obviously... The submersible guy went to the show sure, as well. The, so this, a lot this of stepson. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't ignore Blink 182. That said, there's some really high quality video recordings of their of their tour on YouTube with great timestamps. And so it was like kind of amazing watching Blink 182 play some of my faves, like I Miss You and Damn It and Adam Song. And what a time. Like, I do not like rock music like that at all but like they just have so many good songs and i just gotta say they're both aging great including mark hoppus who's recovering recovered from cancer he's in remission and i was just like i can't imagine ever liking blink 182 if i wasn't like the perfect age when they were popular but it's just like such like a teen thing i don't know just i can't believe i'm talking about blink 182 i was at blink 182 shows when i was a teen so how was it I had a great time. Are you kidding? I was like 16 years old. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything. And I was like, this is the best. Is damn it a perfect rock song? Like, I think it might be. It's it might be. great. Really special. I haven't seen the clips. I've seen a tremendous amount of footage of Kourtney Kardashian holding up a sign, which you know what? I, it's, they, they had a hard time. It's nice when someone gets pregnant, whatever. And I they like want it. to. I like it. Uh, I like that Mark Hoppus and Tom DeLong reconciled. So that's like a yeah. nice, nice bit of it. So I, I, I was just okay. enjoying that. So you enjoyed that, quite, and you also quality. enjoyed the, and you enjoyed the timestamps. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to listen to all their songs. So thanks to everyone who put in that work. Next, I spent a solid fifteen minutes watching a video that YouTube has been trying to feed to me for a long time, and I finally okay. gave in. It was a okay. weak moment. I watched fifteen minutes of Allison Brie and Dave Franco playing the couples quiz on GQ's YouTube channel. Okay. And I don't know. I haven't thought about either of them in a long time. I guess he directed a movie she was in a few months ago. So they did like a ton of press together and it didn't work. Still no one saw the movie. But I don't... Dave Franco being James Franco's brother and being in this like very like kind of extremely sweet, normal, normie marriage to someone who's like 
the subject of many, I think, men's fantasies is like so <laughs> just like weird. I don't know. Like they're really are you familiar with this video? Did you did it ever no. make it? Oh my God. <laughs> it's things like the questions I had to answer, like, why do I love you? And why? I don't know why. I didn't make the content, but okay. they answered earnestly to like all these couples' questions. And I watched it for 15 minutes. Like, there's something wrong with me. I think I got a phone call in the middle and I went back to it after. Okay. That's also a, a why to you. <laughs> it's also like, what do you think was the series of videos that triggered that algorithm suggestion for you? I don't know. Maybe I just get like a lot of the GQ stuff because it's like okay. very celebrity heavy. I honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly don't know. But I couldn't believe that I watched the whole thing. And also they just like talked about like how they met in New Orleans and like they did Molly together the first night. No self-consciousness, these two. They're just like, they're such actors that I'm like also really happy they found each other. Okay. So also, what- he was like, one of the questions that she had to answer about him was like, who are my favorite directors? And she didn't know the answer, which I thought was okay. funny. So I can't tell, was this a positive experience for you or not? I'm like horrified by myself, but I just like, I just felt like I had to get, it's like confession. This is like YouTube confession. What time of day did you spend 15 minutes doing this? Like 4.15 before my, like at my West Coast meetings, you know? Okay. Got it. Needed a break. Just needed okay. to watch some YouTube. Okay. It was a weird one. I I have really no context to offer. I, you know, there's nothing I can say except <laughs> wow to that. But okay. I'm I'm happy for you or I'm sorry that happened, you know? <laughs> Something. <laughs> Something like that. Speaking of Allison Bree, who was amazing, on Mad Men. Amazing segue, Juliet. A plus for you. I'd like to talk about the star of Mad Men, John Hamm. One of the stars. Who would you else would you say is a star? Elizabeth Olsen. Not okay. Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Uh, Moss. Elizabeth Moss, Peggy Olsen is yes. her name. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Did you watch John Hamm do the Bravo video where he's like reenacting a scene from the Vanderpump Rules? I did. And John Slattery was like, what's going on here? He's like, do I do a British accent too? I recently saw John Slattery to play. Handsome okay. guy in person as well. One of our great silver foxes. John Hamm got married over the weekend and the wedding was at the precise location that the final scene of Mad Men takes place. And he also married essentially a Mad Men like extra. Mm -hmm. This is really weird. It's like pretty inexplicable. Can so can you recap the last scene of Mad Men for people who maybe don't remember to give them some context? Obviously, if you don't want to have the last scene of Mad Men spoiled for you, stop <laughs> listening right now. But it was six seasons of a, or seven seasons of a show that aired like I believe it ended. In, yeah, I think just been 10 years, which really makes me feel old. Nothing makes me feel older than that and seeing Jessica Alba's daughter, Honor, being like a full-on adult. I agree. Mad Men ends with Don Draper heading west, like so many Americans seeking a, a different future. Mm -hmm. And he finds himself at Esalen, which is like a nudist colony near Big Sur. Okay, I think that they would identify themselves differently as sort of like a <laughs> spiritual retreat, but continue. <laughs> to me, it's a nudist colony. Okay, I have a friend who went to an Esalen retreat and I do not believe it was a nudist experience. All right. Esalen is like a new agey spiritual sure. retreat for Californians and aspi aspiring Californians. There he had uh, an awakening, which led him there, he being Don Draper, which led him back to capitalism and advertising and his business, which led him to write or create the iconic to some Coca-Cola commercial with the people meditating on a cliff at Esalen. And that's, I'd like to buy the world of Coke, right? 
Yes. Yeah. By the world code. Yeah. So his, I like the, the um, cynical view of Esalen that the, that the show brings forward, but it's very, it's iconic for a lot of reasons. It was iconic to one generation because they were fed the commercial at the time when television was popularized and color TV was new. And then to our generation, we saw it on Mad Men reenacted. So John Hamm has decided to have a third iteration of that and make it his wedding <laughs> to someone he met on Mad Men. It's very strange. It it's also, staggering. It's a staggering at, celebrity move. At the time of the Mad Men finale, there was some debate. There was discussion, as there always is on the internet when a television show ends, about whether the last scene, whether there was any sincerity in the last scene or whether it was deeply cynical. I think you and I both found it to be a deeply cynical, cynical ending. I don't, yes. I still don't know if that was like totally the intention or whether we project our, you know, whether it's like a Rorschach test, whatever. Anyway, the decision to stage your wedding at the same site in a recreation of sorts would suggest a different interpretation <laughs> of the Mad Men finale. That's all I have to say. I honestly, it's inexplicable. Even, even if you have a, you're taking a sincere view, wanting to like have some kind of refractory experience of anything having to do with Don Draper, who was a failure at marriage multiple times is super weird. Like it's just a super weird, even if it like changed your life and, you know, made your career. I don't know, man. It's, I mean, I can't get over it. Here's the one defensible thing. And I can't even believe that. It's I, pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like <laughs> Big Sur is really beautiful. And I think like the Esalen Institute and that particular cliff is also a spectacular backdrop. Also, if that's where they met, you know, we got married where we met. That's like maybe they weren't thinking deeply. Maybe they weren't <laughs> thinking about the symbolic representations that the paparazzi photos of their wedding would have to other individuals. And you know what? That is their right. That said, I'm that's I I can't justify it any further. You know me and weddings. It's it's all seemingly embarrassing. Uh, but it it looked beautiful. Also can't believe John Hamm finally got married. Well, you know, it's like George Clooney. People decide at all different times when they to get do. married. Well, I guess we wish them well. I do. I think it was weird, but okay, congratulations. Great. Well, that's all we have for you today. I think that's been a lot. We will be back <laughs> next week, probably talking about Barbie. I mean, I don't know how many weeks can we ignore it. There's so much. And I actually do want to talk about um, Greta Gerwig Film School with you. So that will come okay. next week. Okay. Thank you to our producer, Jade Whaley, and we'll be back soon. Okay.